This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. And finally, the season that started in July last year is over. Well, kind of. Quite a lot happened, if you can remember any of it. Match of the day getting cancelled. Todd Bowley's billions. Man United's terrible start. Spurs terrible first halves and second halves. Big Sam. Roy. Some enjoyable rows about whether Arsenal choked. Whether West Ham actually had the best season of everyone. And of course, after City's treble, if football is over forever. And of course, there was a World Cup, including quite a good final. Then there's actually stuff happening now. Is Mbappe leaving Paris? Is Will Zaha his replacement? Is Brendan going back to Glasgow? There's news from Everton. Declan Rice is about to appear at the Emirates. Stevie G might be off to Saudi Arabia. And that's all before we get to Ricky Lam- and the Great Awakening. Which Saints player will be next? Ostenstadt, Widrington, Magilton, all that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Jonathan Wilson. Morning, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Hey, Johnny Lou. Hey. Rob says, what are your memories of the 2022-23 football season? Barry, you are furious when this question is <laughs> thrown into the WhatsApp group. No, I wasn't furious. I just laughed. And, and I think my reply was, fuck off, Rob. Don't, <laughs> don't make us try to remember things. And it's funny because when you listed all that stuff in your intro, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Because I just can't remember things. I, I watch loads of football over a weekend. I try to remember it from Monday morning and then it immediately leaves my, vacates my head. Um, but it was for for quite, what well, I expected to be quite a dull season. It was very exciting uh, because various teams didn't perform to the high levels we expected them to. Arsenal performed much better than I expected them to uh, until they choked slash dropped off whichever your you know opinion is lots of interesting managerial changes as he said and the usual rouse and uh us preaching sanctimoniously about the evils of nation states and then getting uh what about it to within an inch of our lives and roundly abused and all that so yeah it was, it was good old fun but i i quite enjoyed it, it was a slog <laughs> yeah uh, it's funny Johnny think back to right making predictions and then you look at what happened this season we obviously will do predictions in August but they're totally pointless I mean I mean aside from you know Man City will win stuff and sort of where like what actually will happen and the people and all that kind of stuff you look at what happened this season and think it's impossible to predict all of those things yeah and I think if, going back to I mean I did a big season preview for the Premier League in August and even back then, it's like, well, there's a World Cup in the middle of this season. We have we have no real way of... I, th- I think there was an acknowledgement this season that this was going to be a more chaotic and unpredictable uh, and turbulent season than most, perhaps ever. If you look at the, the amount of sackings, the, you know, the, the way clubs like, I don't know, Crystal Palace and, and West Ham just went on these wild swings and... Yeah, that there, there was it was it, it was pure chaos from start to finish. I think that there's kind of an acknowledgement of that now. It's it's kind of ridiculous trying to predict what's going to happen in nine days' time, let alone nine months. Wilson, was it good? I I sorry, I was distracted by the, the chaos uh, because yeah, it was chaotic and it felt very chaotic, and yet I'm 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure I said City would win the league. I'm pretty sure I said City would win the Champions League. I'm pretty sure I said Argentina would win the World Cup. So it wasn't that chaotic. And I think that's the problem with modern football, that no matter how many little sort of blips and glitches and weird things happen, money does... I mean, obviously, it doesn't apply to Argentina, but money does does win out in the end. Uh, or money when well spent, uh, which in City, whatever I think about, they have spent their money incredibly wisely. Was it, was it good? City's performance in the first half of that second leg against Real Madrid... I think is is one of the greatest performances of all time, and I think whatever distaste you feel for City's owners, you know, that, that 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 should be acknowledged. It was it was brilliant, brilliant football. Even that, just the, the nature of the modern game feels slightly disturbing and distressing. That you sort of you can make the case. Well, in fact, I think you, you should make the case that City's draw in the Champions League was was pretty difficult. They had to play Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, and they sort of swatted them both aside incredibly easily, and. If I thought that was because this city are uniquely brilliant and things would be different in two or three years, then that's a great thing. I sort of fear that's a sign of things to come, that the economic dominance of the Premier League and City's dominance within that means that you know we're, we're dropping down to sort of two or three teams can win the Champions League every year. And that's, I mean, it's a knockout, clearly. It'll never just be two or three, but two or three sort of realistic contenders. And I don't think that's that's healthy at all. I mean, and that, that I think is the sadness of this season. That it's been a season in which you've had one of the greatest World Cups, well, one of the greatest World Cup stories ever, of Messi and his fifth attempt, finally winning the World Cup and doing it. Yeah, he was brilliant in that tournament. And the amount of drama around Argentina was sensational. The World Cup, if you strip away everything apart from the football, was, was brilliant. Manchester City produced one of the, the all-time great performances Guardiola has, has become only the fourth manager to win the Champions League for a third time. He's won his second treble. Manchester City have won the treble. The, these should be great achievements to be celebrated. And yet, actually, this is about the victory of sports washing. That Messi wins that in Doha while playing for a club backed by Qatar while shilling for Saudi tourism. Guardiola wins that in Erdogan's Turkey, having been an ambassador for Qatar while managing a club backed by Abu Dhabi. None of that is good. None of that is healthy. And that's the tragedy that the, the, the great performances are tainted by everything else that's going on. Johnny, you look like you were about to come in. You don't have to. Oh, no. I'd, I'd make, a, make a point of never interrupting Wilson when he's right. Um, I, I, what, I, what I do think is that, that if, if we, in time, I think a lot of that stuff, a lot of that context, which we now attach to it, is going to melt away. I don't think... I mean, I've, I've written about this quite a lot recently, whether these things are all going to have an asterisk next to them. And ideally, you know, we would, uh, we would, we would get back to a slightly more equitable sport where this, this whole era is seen as a bit of an aberration. And I think that's quite, you know, that's quite an idealistic view of things. It's, it's entirely possible that we just go further down this road and, you know, what, what City did becomes sort of detached from the, the context and the, the, you know, the money and the, the patronage and the geopolitical elements of it. And, you know, people just remember, you know, De Bruyne and Haaland. And uh, I think that that's definitely a possibility. Same with Argentina, you know, are people going to really going to remember the Bisht? Are people going to remember that it was in, you know, Doha and the migrant workers? That's, that's the bit I, wor- I worry about that over time, the context is all going to get, you know, going to melt away and, and it's going to, it's going to matter less in posterity than we'd like it to. I think that's a, a, yeah, a completely reasonable point. My, my sort of fear with all every time that I raise sort of objections about the state of the modern game is, yeah, you look back at the sort of 
seismic changes that have happened in football. So, you know, even going back to, you know, the 1880s and the introduction of professionalism, which side of that argument would I have been on? If I'd been a newspaper columnist in the, in the 1880s, would I have been going, you know, this is the... You're definitely complaining about the Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, Manchester United, they're a great club, but the, the, the pigeons, you cannot rely on those pigeons. Uh, but yeah, would I have been saying professionalism is the death of a game as we know it? I don't know. I hope not. When the Premier League came into being, and I sort of remember being... Yeah, I was what, I was 16 when the Premier League came into being. And I remember reading sort of things in, in, in the Observer, you know, saying this is the death of football. I was like, oh, shut up, it's great. And actually they were right. They were right. It, it, it took, it wasn't the death of football, but it took football down a road that I, I think ultimately hasn't been that healthy. And obviously that was happening in the context of football had less to lose in the 80s. Football in the 80s had reached a pretty low point in terms of fan behaviour, in terms of stadiums and everything. The, the, the injection of cash was was very useful in terms of, of cleaning the game up, but with other consequences as well. And it may be, it may be that, that, that in 10, 20 years' time, it's just, the no, it's just normal for football clubs to be owned by, by states, often with terrible records, that the idea that the Premier League is this sort of, if the Premier League even exists by then, that whatever league we have is this sort of stage for Middle Eastern geopolitics to be played out through the medium of James Milner. Is it, is it okay, though, just to still enjoy the football, even though you disapprove of how it's being produced, say? I mean, if you look at the, say, the Tour de France Roll of Honour past winners, there's a big gap between 1999 and 2005 where nobody won the Tour de France. You know, there's no winner. And that's seven consecutive tours that were one in inverted commas by Lance Armstrong. And I remember watching those at the time. Everyone knew what was going on. Well, a lot of people knew what was going on. But you couldn't say or even hint at anything because Lance Armstrong and his employers were very, very litigious. But, you know, most most people knew what was going on. But if you even hinted, like slightly hinted at it, there's a lot of Lance Armstrong believers out there who were, you know, very angry. And they, I, I kind of compare them now to the useful idiots you see on Twitter defending their club's regimes, you know. Well, they're not just on Twitter. I mean, yeah, I was I was with Miguel Delaney uh, on the same flight back from Istanbul. And the the amount of abuse he got from City fans in the airport is pretty, you know. Really? Pretty distressing, yeah. He's got to be pretty thick-skinned to, to deal with that. Um, and it, it ranges from, you know, when we were in the queue to, to, to drop our bags off, there were some lads in front of us who were, were you know, they, they, they were making their case. They made it, you know, relatively politely. There was, you know, there was no out-and-out -out abuse. There was no sort of sense of threat. And we ended up just chatting about how terribly organised it had been. But they, what was notable was they were spouting the club line of, you know, how dare you criticise, this is, this is racism. You're only saying this because they're, they're Arab owners. You're not saying this about anybody else. So yeah, it's, you know, the only states that own clubs are Arab clubs. It's not an anti-Arab thing. It's an anti-state ownership thing. But you know, th th that, that's a very powerful argument to, to deploy. It was, you know, the same with Qatar, to, to accuse people who, who, who think of themselves as being liberal of, of being racist is, is a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult uh, accusation to, to, to fend off. But then, yeah, there are other people who are, yeah, out and out abusive, and and so I sort of 
I was casting this weird role as Miguel's bodyguard. No. Which I, frankly, I don't think I'm cut out for. How is the shoulder? I mean, is the shoulder okay? Well, don't, I'm, well, I'm not telling you now. It's absolutely right. fine. It's bionic. <laughs> I could I could kill you with two fingers. And then the most distressing thing was what this, these lads were having a discussion with. One of them suddenly turns around to me and goes, I'm sorry, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> but how do you know Miguel and not me? <laughs> I, I am the one who does the books. Yeah, but he's on Sky a lot more. Than yeah. you, isn't he? But that very makes an interesting point because when I think... Sorry, I, I, I hadn't actually got around to the oh, point really? I was okay. trying to make. Because unlike uh, Johnny, Wilson is happy to interrupt me when I'm right. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, but... So even though you know what's going on and it's all quite unsavoury and distasteful, you can still watch Lance Armstrong go up Al Duez or whatever in record time and go, wow, he is a good cyclist. That is really impressive what he and his team are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I, I mean, don't you think, Johnny, like, like Wilson mentioned, that first half against Real Madrid for City, you were just watching that going, they are, this is an annihilation of a, you know, this may be, this is not peak Real Madrid, right? Those players are a bit old. Benzema looked a bit old, et cetera, et cetera. Even I'm not going to say about Modric. But but that first half was totally scintillating. I think the two are, are totally possible. And then I sort of think about, you know, are you allowed to enjoy any of the football? I just think about Fass's two own goals. Or I think about that VAR check. Was it for Japan against Germany in the World Cup that looked to, had the ball crossed the line or not? And we're waiting. And it was just like, like that, that agonizing wait to see am i thinking yeah of right spain thing? wasn't it was it japan spain japan spain spain yeah. spain sorry japan spain just thinking these are t- these are moments of like whether you love var or not just like great excitement or hilarity and actually i come to football a lot just to find things funny about it i guess yeah i mean you can't you can't not love that that world cup final it was just it was just an, un- an unbelievable piece of you know theater art sport you know and you know, like I say, it, who, who remembers who funded Leonardo da Vinci, or who you know who remembers who who like backed Mozart? It's 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 that kind of thing, right? You know that. What was it, the Medici family? Yeah, it was. It was. And I'm like, it, it yeah, was, I remember. It was murderous <laughs> bastards, and and you know, Leonardo da Vinci made weapons of war for them. You know, one of his one of his major ambitions was to be like a you know a, a military a military architect. But we don't you know. We don't really remember that now. Only, only Wikipedia remembers that. I, I was actually looking that up during the first half of City against Real Madrid uh, in pursuit of a, a now abandoned paragraph. These things can stand apart because, like the old saying goes, history is written by the winners. And I, I, I hope that's not true, but I think it is also possible to it is also possible to enjoy things on your own terms. That's that's basically the nature of, of what it is to follow and to like and to watch sport. Nobody's you know, nobody's preventing you from liking sport and whatever parts of it in the way that you wish. I sometimes I curse the fact that I'm a, I'm a journalist because I think if I would have a much purer and and more um, you know, rounded view of, of of football if I if I weren't writing about it and having to explain it to people and having to kind of write about structures all the time. I fucking hate writing about structures, right? Fuck structures. But you know, you have to you have to try and understand this thing if you want to if you want to cover it and write about it properly. And I think if you're if you're following it for for pure joy, right, for pure entertainment, for pure kind of fulfilment, yeah, you are totally going to have a different relationship with it. And I think like most of the people listening to this are not people working in football. They'll have a totally different concept of, of football. I think they'll have a totally different relationship to what to what we do. I think that's quite an interesting point about trying to always you've got to relate to people who aren't don't have the same relationship with football that you have. I think it's a really key thing to always remember in in this line of work. I like, Barry, that you can remember the Medici family, but 
if I pushed you for a goal of the season, you'd be totally screwed. I'm interesting on that. Seamus Coleman. Oh, it was a good finish. Um, uh, Jamie Jackson's line about Pep, um, you know, he's firmly minded to leave City in two years when his contract expires. Uh, He's uh, all but decided he'll depart in summer 2025, end his tenure after nine years. So that, is something almost it's something to look forward to, I think. I mean, if it happens, Wilson, when Premier League winner Ange Postacoglu takes the job of Manchester City manager. But we I mean, I, I don't want to wish away the next however two years, two seasons, but I'm interested to see what happens to City there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess there's been a process of reconciling myself over the last year because because of essentially the victory of sports rushing. So this is just how it is. But that doesn't mean that just, you know, just because I, I you know I, I loathe everything about the governance of football and everything about who provides the money and how it's run, that doesn't mean there's not still great drama. It doesn't mean there's not still great things to write about. Um, you know, in the same way that I loathe every character in Succession, but I still really enjoyed it. it it's just that innocence, yeah, which is yeah, gone a long time ago, but it's been firmly sort of trampled into the dust and and and, and you know. It's not coming back. So, yeah, the, the, you know, Guardiola now, I, you know, I guess the, the, the great sort of background narrative, the thing that was keeping this thing going, was the fact he hadn't won the Champions League for 12 years, that City had never won the Champions League, that you know, whether their own mistakes or whether sort of the fates and bad luck kept on tripping them up. Well, that's now over. But the next aspect is, can Guardiola win a fourth? Can he go equal with Ancelotti? Can he win a fifth and be, go out you know, alone? And and from what you hear, that that seems to be the huge motivation for him now. Whether that's why he said two years because he thinks they can win it the next two years. You know, whether they win one, he'll he'll think, oh, just give it an extra year. Yeah, who, who knows? His family have gone back to Spain. He's he's in Manchester alone, and so you know the 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 the, the huge thing for him now, the, the the sort of the thing that's really driving him is making himself the the, the greatest of all time statistically. As, you know, as well as whatever else he's done about the, in terms of the, you know, how the game is played, which on which he's had a huge influence as well. There was an innocence. I don't know if innocence is the right word, Barry, to, to Jack Grealish's shit-facedness during the, the celebration. There's one amazing photo. It looks like a Renaissance painting. You know, him with his shirt off in the rain with a sort of John Stone sort of playing a Liam Gallagher sort of role on one side. I think it's Bernardo on the other. I mean, it was sort of, I don't know what I'm trying to say, Barry. It was just a great picture. And I thoroughly enjoyed the way Jack Grealish celebrated winning all those things. Yeah. Uh, the pictures that may well come back to bite him if at some point in the not too distant future he, he has a poor run of form. But it's very difficult not to to like Jack and not to admire the manner in which he really doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks of him. And if I had uh, a body like his, I'd have my shirt off in the rain too and be standing on the top deck. Of I'd just travel around London on one of those tourism buses <laughs> up at the front, shirt off, arms spread. Do it anyway. <laughs> I'd probably get arrested before too long. <laughs> Matthew says, uh, can we clarify what makes a kid? Grealish, I, I, when I was talking about his tears, I was saying that he's just a kid. And then I found out that he was 27. Uh, I, I had him at least 22. Uh, Grealish was dubbed a kid at 27 by you. And then Nicky said DeMarco wasn't a kid at 25. <laughs> what is a kid? Um, uh, just one thing on, more thing on City before we end part one, uh, Johnny. Zvonimir says, is John Stones the most, most important player 
this season? This is the tactical thing, right? I mean, in terms of, um, you know, tactically speaking and in terms of deciding the trajectory, I guess, of City uh, this season, yeah, he's he's got to be up there, as they say. Uh, although, you know, I think you know, in terms of importance, it's, it, it was very much a Guardiola masterpiece rather than, you know, the, the fact that Stones played that role very well uh, doesn't, doesn't necessarily make him, that, you know, you, you sense that, if he if he hadn't been around, Guardiola might have found some other way to to, to solve that problem. Um, that the most important player this season is probably Vinicius Junior. Okay, and that's because of both on and off the field. You think? You think? I do want to talk about it more. Might as well. I think it's really interesting. Well, subject. no, I just I, I, well, I, I think um, a lot of a lot of Vinicius Junior has been has been taught. But I think in terms of what he represents, what has happened to him, and how he's how he's responded to it. Um, there's something incredibly powerful about that, you know, the, the the way, the way that Vinicius has dealt with the the way that Spanish fans and the Spanish establishment have abused him essentially has the potential to to really fundamentally alter the game. Yeah, um, and let's hope it does. Uh, all right, that'll do for part one. Uh, back in a tick. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. You can pre-order the Football Weekly book now. Features contributions from all your favourite Football Weekly regulars. Wilson, give us the hard sell. Oh, God, it took ages. It was a right hassle. Please, just do me a favour and buy it. <laughs> no, it's genuinely... You know, it's, 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 is it the greatest book written since Ulysses? I think probably. Probably it is, yes. Wow. So, but you, so you're sort of surprised at what, what the collective have managed to achieve here. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's and you have such high expectations of us. No, no because just, everyone's given a sort of seven pretty, out of pretty ten. Pretty much everybody performed exactly to type. Is, is it more intelligible than you right. received, at least? <laughs> Some of it. <laughs> the cartoon about Barry, I'd say, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The cartoon, of course, David's quite, is brilliant. And um, I like the pro- the player profiles are good because they're really quick, really easy. I go, oh, that's easy to, you know. It's a toilet book. I wrote something. Yeah, Johnny wrote something which was excellent. Yes, although it actually ended up being the being the last thing finished because of a rights issue over pictures, which I don't need to bore you with. But you need well, you see, you 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 felt the need to bore us with a lot of other things. <laughs> it was so much more tedious and stressful than it should have been, but it is thankfully now yeah, yeah. done. I will miss all those passive aggressive. <laughs> WhatsApp messages and emails from Wilson. <laughs> well, the, the, the danger is, I mean, it's not likely, but the danger is this thing's a success. They make us do it again. So in that sense, please, nobody buy it. Make this a disaster. <laughs> I'm very much getting the impression I'm being accused of not pulling my weight. And I would like to say that uh, Wilson got the job of editor because I knew I wouldn't be able to do it. And I think he did very well. But I also went through when the whole thing was finished and hoovered up all the mistakes. That's true. And, you know, I think I performed a, a very important role. I mean, literally, the first one you pointed out wasn't a mistake. <laughs> I still think it was. And, and in, in, in your own copy, you complained about a cafe that closed down that turns out it's still open. <laughs> so, you know, let's not get on our high horse here. Anyway, it's a good book. 20% off uh, if you pre-order on The Guardian Bookshop. Uh, it's out on the 28th of September. Uh, link is in the description of this podcast uh, all over our Twitters as well. 
All right, then let's uh, let's talk about stuff that's happening at the moment. Kylian Mbappe has sent a letter to PSG. I love this. Uh, so, you know, no passive-aggressive WhatsApps from Kylian. He takes an ink and quill <laughs> and he writes, confirming he doesn't want to renew his contract beyond 2024. Probably means that PSG will have to sell this summer in order to prevent him leaving on a free next year. Uh, as uh, producer Joel says, something quite Jane Austen about penning a letter describing your desire to leave. Um, what do you make of it, Jolly? Well, this is just the, um, the, the, the latest method of communication that, that Mbappe has used to kind of communicate his forbidden love for Real Madrid. There was, this, there was a graphic novel of, like, two or three years ago. He basically wrote a, a graphic novel called, I think it's called Je m'appelle Kilion. And it's all about this little kid called Kilion who just dreams of playing for Real Madrid and goes to, uh, you know, meets Zidane, and goes to the training ground and meets Cristiano Ronaldo and has an amazing tie. And this is while obviously he's still at PSG. Um, so it's 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 very much the it's the unconsummated romance uh, that we I think on some level just wish was consummated at some point. It's a bit like was it like you know how Ch- everyone knew that Charles and Camilla were a thing for you know decades before they actually got it on. Is Mbappe? Do you reckon he's written this letter now, Wilson, because he's worried that Harry Kane might go there or is, Mbappe plays off the left as well doesn't he because we talked to you know mentioned Vinicius for, for lots of reasons being so important this season but I mean Mbappe would not play on the left if Vinicius is there so he would play in the middle I mean it's quite an, it's a nice problem to have Brian isn't it well yeah but I mean he, he's he been certainly with France he was adamant he didn't didn't want to play through the middle I mean he ended up playing through the middle in both the semi-final and the final because he can't be trusted to track a fullback. I, I just I, does he actually want to go to Real Madrid, or, or is all of this just sort of a way of making himself more money? Yeah, I, who knows? You know, he's. I mean, but yeah, what I what I really don't get here is PSG apparently sort of shocked and outraged that Kylian Mbappe with a year left in his contract is making noises about leaving. I mean, of course he is. Yeah, it's, but I, the, the whole whole Mbappe thing is is I think it's desperately sad. You know the. He's clearly a brilliant, brilliant footballer, but he's wasting his time in France. You know, his 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 salary, his weekly salary, is nine times that of the end of a weekly salary of the entire Ajaxio squad. So, what's the point of him scoring goals against Ajaxio? You know, it's 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 just easy. And you know, Champions League form is is patchy. I know he scored eight goals in the World Cup, but I think he actually had quite a poor World Cup. You know, between scoring that goal against Poland in the last minute and getting the penalty against. Uh, Argentina with ten minutes to go in the final, he pretty much did nothing. He's, he's you know he, he's allowed himself to become a player who who doesn't really engage in the game, just sort of plays and spurts. Now you can do that if you're thirty five years old and Lionel Messi because you haven't got an engine anymore. But for him to do it at twenty four, I think is you know he's playing a very old fashioned form of football, and PSG have allowed him to do it. I, I don't. I think he's a brilliant player, but he should be even better. And you know, staying in France is not you know it's just encouraging him to stagnate. So his talent is as much a victim of the modern sort of socioeconomics of football as, as anything else. He tweeted lies. At the same time, the bigger it is, the more it passes. I have already said I will continue next season at PSG, why I'm very happy. He kind of has PSG over a barrel, doesn't he? Because he says he's happy to stay. If they want him to stay and don't want to lose him for free, they're going to have to offer him some bumper new deal or massive pay hike. Otherwise, they'll sell him and they'll look like the bad guys even though he's put them in quite an invidious position. He hasn't done anything wrong. That's the contract they gave him. But 
apparently, I, I think Tariq Panja said that uh, this letter was written ages ago and that he, he told PSG seven weeks after signing his new deal that he wouldn't be renewing his contract. So now him and the club have fallen out because he said there hadn't been any negotiations over an extension. They say there have. And he 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 also, I think it was two months ago, he recorded a video uh, talking about how great PSG were and how great PSG fans are. And it was sent to all their season ticket holders as the club sort of reminded or encouraged them to renew their season tickets. And he got the right hump over that because he claims he thought he was told the video was for some other purpose. So he has quite a fractious relationship with the club and its fans. And would they even be that sorry to see the back of them? I don't know. The fans, I mean, not not the club. Well, I, I think they would, if only because they've, they've lost Messi and you know, Neymar now appears to be gone. I mean, Neymar's sort of tacking himself around to any of the idiot clubs with loads of money, which is to say Saudi Arabian clubs and Chelsea. Um, so yeah, if they lose all three in the same summer, that, that's pretty... I mean, it probably is actually the best thing for PSG to lose all three, reinvest that money. Yeah, the, the Parisian Bandier are uh, uh, one of the great sort of... It's a hotbed. It's a hotbed. Uh, uh, what's a bed? A chambre show. Oh, that's a hot bedroom. It's a slightly different thing. Lee? Yeah. Lee? It's, it's Lee bed? Uh, Lee show. It's a Lee show of the footballing talent. And, and yeah, they, they could they could invest in that. They could become an Ajax. They could become a you know, Celtic of the late 60s. They... They, they could develop their own talent, but they've, they've gone down the superstar road uh, and it's one of nothing. Can't help thinking, Johnny, Neymar isn't exactly what Chelsea need. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I'm, like, honestly, it's like, um, you, you know, when like late Wenger, when he just kept stockpiling attacking midfielders and everyone's like, sign a, sign a CDM, please. And he just, here is Henrik Mkhitaryan. Um, and, and especially like that, yeah, Chelsea have this, you know, a surfeit of quite good, but they're very good, young, uh, wide midfielders. And they have, you know, a couple of older wide midfielders as well. And just throwing Neymar in that, <laughs> in that absolute um, chaos house um, is, is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not what they need. You know, everyone knows they need number nine. They probably need a new goalkeeper as well. And most of all, they need to try and offload quite a lot of, that squad because they have a new manager who's going to, you know, in Pochettino, who, who's going to want to mould the squad into something that he he wants and, you know, that he can work with. And he also needs to do it within the constraints of financial fair play. So I, I genuinely don't know where Neymar fits into this, uh, except, you know, clearly Todd Bewley finds it quite cool on some level that he is able to buy Neymar. And Pochettino has worked with Neymar before, and I don't think their relationship was particularly. <laughs> I've bought you a present. Warm. Oh, thanks, thanks, Todd. <laughs> I, 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 actually, I mean, just while we're on this, do, do you think Pochettino is a sensible, like a good fit, Wilson, for, for Chelsea? Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody's a good fit for Chelsea. You know, I think Chelsea is a complete nonsense, but yeah, he, he has Premier League experience. He's good at developing young players, which appears. If there is any sort of logic to be discerned in their their signing splurge, it is most of those players are, are young. I think you know since leaving Tottenham, you know I know he had his eighteen months at PSG, but nothing really happened there. So he he's sort of presumably still hungry, still still on the way up. I have to say, I always found him a very likable 
my annual press conferences. Not that that means anything to anybody apart from those of us who go to press conferences. Likeable in likeable in press conferences. It's not really something you can put on your, you know, guardian soulmates. Say that's something I could I could <laughs> yeah, put on uh, my guardian soulmates. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, look, I think he's. I, I think yes, he's a he's a decent appointment. That doesn't mean it will work because I think that yeah, Chelsea is such a mess that maybe nobody could make it work. Well, we're on the subject of uh, PSG. The, the rumor of Wilf Zaha to, to PSG is, is quite a fun one, isn't it? Especially if it's, a, you know, to cover an Mbappe-sized hole. Stephen Gerrard reportedly set to be appointed as the new manager of Saudi Arabian side El Etifak. How much of the Saudi league are we going to... At what point do we start watching this in a sort of, you know, an idle curiosity type way, Barry? Or, or are we duty-bound to not watch any of it? Good question, I suppose. I... I would struggle to find time to watch the Saudi League, I have to say. I I already struggle to find time to watch stuff I, I'm interested in. <laughs> so, uh, watching yeah, this Pensioners League, uh, I, I don't know is the answer. Is uh, to be question? clear, they're not that you say you say Pensioners League. I, I think they're signing Gerard as a manager, not <laughs> box to box midfielder, and we'll find out. Uh, Brendan Rogers back to Celtic. Is this a good idea, Johnny? I don't know. <laughs> That's a shot. I mean, I, I think it uh, certainly makes sense for Rogers. Uh, he's his, his stock has fallen significantly, certainly in his last year, eighteen months at, at Leicester. This is a guy who almost took them to the Champions League, won the FA Cup, and I think at that point would have been angling for one of the the top jobs in in the Premier League in, in European football. Which is not to say, you know, because obviously Celtic fans get quite snippy when you say they're not a big club. But Celtic, you know, Rogers clearly went to Celtic the first time as a kind of career rehabilitation after Liverpool, win some trophies uh, and try and, you know, try and get himself, try and get himself back on his feet. And, uh, and clearly, uh, if this is, if this is on the cards, then it, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be the same kind of, it's going to be the same kind of idea for him. Uh whether it's what Celtic need, I, I, I really, I really don't know. I mean, they are. I, th- I think Postecoglou was kind of he was sort of waved out the door with with good wishes. I think they really loved him there, uh, and there is still quite a bit of ill feeling from Celtic fans towards Rogers at the, at the way he kind of left them in mid season. You know, Postecoglou left well in a way that Rogers Rogers really didn't. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen whether the fans will, um, you know, will, will still bear any resentment towards him for that. But you know, Rodgers—he's still a good coach. I, th- I I really rate him. I think he kind of—I think he kind of lost interest at Leicester more than anything else. Uh, what do you make of the Postecoglou with your Spurs hat on uh, appointment? I got so I got so much like I got so much abuse for this on on Twitter by comparing it to Ted Lasso. But Ted Lasso did really well. Ted Lasso did a good job at, at AFC Richmond. I think he's like I don't know he's he's got the, he's got the demeanour of like a a Melbourne PE teacher. That's not a bad thing. Right, it's I, I, he's a, he's a very good communicator. It's not a bad thing. He's he's a he's personable. He's also, you know, it's a complete leap in the dark because he's never worked with uh, a superstar on the level of Harry Kane before. He's never uh, he's never played a game at Premier League pace. He's most of his successes are either in you know smaller leagues like the Japanese league, uh, and when he's when he's managed at a higher level, i.e. the World Cup, he, I think he lost every game. In 2014, but left with a lot of plaudits. So there's been a lot of um, there's a lot of style there and some substance. But I think 
not enough to feel confident either way about about saying he's going to be a success or not. Uh, I think, yeah, he arrives with a lot of goodwill. I think people people like it, people warm to the guy. Um, but as, as Graham Potter proved at Chelsea, that's not that's not necessarily enough. I think he'll be a superstar, but I have yeah, because like you like him, everyone like yeah, everyone I like loves him. Ange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you want it, you want you want to do well, but like, yeah. it doesn't doesn't quite work like that. No, all the time. Um, uh, David Moyes confirmed he's staying as West Ham boss, um, which is uh, probably deserved after he got their first trophy in forty three years. Uh, he'll have to do it without Declan Rice, who's off to Arsenal for around a hundred million, maybe a bit more. Um, is that is a hundred million? Feel about right for Declan Rice Wilson? I guess. Um, I mean, look, very, very good young midfielder. Given the price paid paid for Enzo Fernandez, it seems commensurate. I, I I don't understand prices. You know, they they seem to vary wide wildly. A better question is: Will he improve Arsenal? Is he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, he's, fine. He's a, he's a better player than any of the. Other, yeah, any of the holding midfielders have already got. So, yeah, he he definitely will improve. I think I think he he's potentially a genuinely exceptional player. You know, he's he he's very good at that deep lying role, but he has started to add goals as well. Now, if you can if you can provide I don't know six, eight, ten goals a season while also being that defensive shield, that's a that's a huge weapon to have. So, yeah, I, th- I think he's a he's a very very good player, and I, I think Arsenal's a good club for him. I think it's the right the right trajectory on the way up that he, he will. Almost certainly play almost every game there, and it's, he'll be playing in the in the Champions League, which is what he needs to do. Um, Everton have announced Chief Executive Denise Barrett Baxendale, Chief Finance and Strategy Officer Grant Ingalls, and non and non Executive Director Graham Sharp have left their boardroom roles. Uh, um, you'll remember earlier this season uh, they stopped going to games. Uh, the club have said interim appointments. Chairman Bill Kenwright's future will decide in the next forty eight hours. Meanwhile, Carlo Ancelotti is suing Everton at the High Court. The claim relates to general commercial contracts and arrangements. The listing gives no further details. Um, Ancelotti would make quite a good barrister in a legal TV show. I, th- I mean, I know we talked about him and Big Dunk being detectives together, Baz, but I, you know, he could really do, he could just turn with that eyebrow, couldn't he? To the yeah. jury, convince them just by raising <laughs> the eyebrow. And there we are. Could be, <laughs> as producer Joss says, Judge John Deed. He could do that role. No, I'd see him more as a. Uh, oh, he does look a bit like him, doesn't he? Do you think Ma- Martin Shaw could definitely play, or younger Martin Shaw could definitely have played Ancelotti? But uh, yeah, I, I think you know, you know how they're disguising this remake of Perry Mason, which I know Barry dislikes. Uh, I actually think it's quite good. It's got nothing to do with the Perry Mason that was on telly when we were kids. Mm-hmm. But if they remade the Perry Mason that was on telly when we were kids, Ancelotti would be would be great in that role. Yeah, solid grey-haired man who could bring his team with him. Who, yeah, could yeah charm the jury with his eyebrow. Yeah. yeah, he wouldn't necessarily change the legal system, but he would get the best out of the big egos he had in his chambers. Yeah, and, and yeah, he, he'd be prepared to work with all, all manner of uh, unscrupulous and and uh, disappointing clients. <laughs> <laughs> the last ninety seconds of this podcast to me may as well have been in Hebrew. <laughs> Of it. Well, you're too young. You're too young. Perry Mason was a great thing in the eighties. Raymond Burr to do that and Ironside. What a career! I, I, um, I always have yours at the same age as us, Johnny. I don't know if that's a if that's a compliment. No, no, it's not. A, it's <laughs> not. You have, it's a, really not. you have an air of a man. In, you have an air of a man in their mid forties. No, God, uh, don't don't yeah. do that to me. Christ, <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. Uh, yeah, erudite. It's, you know, it's a compliment. Um, Scott Parker could be the new Leicester manager. 
Uh, he's the favourite for that job. Um, <laughs> I mean, he didn't have a great, he didn't have a great year, Scott Parker, did he? You know, he said Bournemouth was shite, then left, and then Champions League experience made Club Bruges shite. <laughs> but before that, wasn't he quite good, Johnny? No, he, he, he was. You know, I think you know he did, he did a he did a good good job at Bournemouth, who were who were I think there were certainly no guarantees to to go up, and, and you know we're we're in, in danger of kind of sliding and sliding into obscurity a little bit. Yeah, he, he, he did a, a pretty decent job with them. I think, you know, a lot of his shtick is about, um, it's about personality. It's about projection. And I think, one, you know, now he's had, you know, a couple of failures or, you know, a couple of sackings on his on his CV. I think that the ego is, is slightly um, is slightly tarnished there. And I think for, for a coach like Parker, that matters more than it, it does with a lot, a lot of others. Neil Warnock has uh, had us feel for one more year. He tweeted, one more year. Uh, so that that's good for content, isn't it? Well done, Neil. They did very well, and uh, that'll do. That's for... at Huddersfield, right? That's that's one more year at Huddersfield. <laughs> yes, I think he's announcing. I don't think he's announcing you know, his plans to leave this mortal coil on social media. Not for a year, at least. <laughs> oh yeah, if we go again. Anyway, that'll do for part two. We'll round up any other business in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Amos says, what do they teach the players in Southampton after Matt Letizia and Ricky Lambert? Is Gareth Bale going to be the next to turn? Um, Barry, have you watched his The Great Awakening video? I must admit, I didn't get through all of it. I, I don't know either. I watched about 40 seconds of it and stopped because I wasn't really sure what was going on. But um, it does. it is quite a worry. Uh, I mean, David Prutton, I know three former Southampton players quite well. Uh, well, you know, reasonably well. Uh, David Prutton, uh, who presents Sky's uh, EFL coverage, and Perry Groves are both lovely, very well-rounded, friendly, charming individuals, very funny, very good company. Uh, Matt Letissier is my favourite player of all time, but he, he didn't have a great pandemic did he <laughs> well not in my eyes no um i don't know i mean have you watched this video wilson i'm mean, i don't know if we should be giving time to it i just i wasn't sure what he was i felt like he was building up to telling me what the future of life was but but he much sort of he never really finished it off yeah i, I mean i didn't get back from istanbul at 11 p.m on monday uh i'm going on holiday tomorrow i've got so much to do in these two days that watching a three and a half minute video from some former Southampton player who I barely remember, to be honest, talking nonsense. It didn't seem harmless, <laughs> apparently. Sorry. Fair enough. Antonio says, hi, Max Barry and the gang. I'm from Portugal. I'm a regular listener of the pod since 2018. I'd like to draw your attention to the personal journey of Bruno de Carvalho, former president of Sporting Lisbon, who was kicked out by the cl club's fans in a referendum after being suspected of moral support of the invasion of the training centre by ultras before a cup final. The ultras attacked the players of a squad that had Bruno Fernandes, Rafael Leal, Rui Patricio, William Carvalho and Bas Dost. Yes, Max, that Bas Dost, who scores only one touch finishes, uh, for instance. Uh, after being cleared by the courts, Carvalho, who's now 51, took part in the reality show Big Brother, 
where he met a former pop singer. They started dating on the show, and when it finished, they got married live on TV, giving full access to their celebration. After that, he became a very mediocre DJ, who nevertheless keeps selling out clubs across Portugal. His latest stunt is featuring in a song with a Coduro, a type of music and dance from Angola musician. Uh, the music video on his performance is so bad, it actually is good. I strongly recommend you watch it. That said, which of the actual CEO owners of Premier League clubs do you think has the potential or profile to become a reality show star and or a rapper or DJ after leaving the club? After such bad sporting calls, should Daniel Levy start taking salsa lessons? Is Sheikh Mansour working on his DJ set? Thank you for the great work. Um, uh, please treat Cristiano and Mourinho better. They're still legends in the game, says Antonio. Um, that's quite a lot to take in of a... Uh, Antonio was doing so well with that email until the very last line. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, he let himself down badly. <laughs> My Two Cents says, uh, wanted to thank you all for another year of laughs and high quality uh, asterisk uh, podcast, being a great company on morning and evening journeys, no matter the topic. Even had a bit of positive Aston Villa-related coverage, which is nice. Um, and then he writes in Gaelic, Barry, Go rabe mile meith agabe. Gremile mahagos. Uh, a thousand thanks. Ah. Mark says, as the panel are more interested in cricket following the end of the club football season, any Ashes predictions? Um, I'm, I wish Ben Folks was in there, Johnny. I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to make the difference between England winning the Ashes or not. Um, you're a folks man. I'm a folks man. You? You're, you're, you're a Tory. You're a Tory. <laughs> I'm not a Tory, no. Is that, but what, is that, saying? Is is that, that what you're saying? Are, yeah. they, uh, are they inextricably linked? Liking a good yeah, glove no, no, man? No, I mean, the, that, it's, it's, it's the culture. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the cricket cultural thing. If, you, if you're in favour of folks, you're also in favour of like, you know, old style pads and uncovered wickets. And, right. You, know, play, you, play, you play your best You play your best keeper. Yeah. You play your best keeper and, and you, you reward the county cricket system. No, I just like him as a, as a glove man. It doesn't mean I want to stop the boats particularly. Um, <laughs> Uh, but do you think? I mean, do you think Bearstow with the gloves is a, is a smarter option? Oh, Bearstow with the gloves is definitely better than Bearstow without the gloves. And uh, I think, insofar as they're not going to stick him, uh, you know, they're not going to play an opener against the Australians who hasn't played as an opener before. Uh, it's it's really really harsh on folks, but it's you know it's the best it's the best call. And is Moeen Ali a good call? Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's a general problem with the, the fragility of England's bowling. Uh, you know, so many bowlers out or not going to be able to play all five tests. Uh, you know, I think that's the, the big concern. I think the batting, I mean, I, maybe it's optimistic even to say that's evenly matched, but I, I, I'd worry about England's bowling. Uh, you know, can, can Anderson really play five tests? I, I, I'm not convinced. Wood clearly can't. And then you, you're getting down to... Chris Wokes is Wokes is I don't know if Wokes is starting the first game or where where he's at, but he's brilliant in these conditions. He is he is brilliant at home. Yeah, Matty Potts has, has started the season very well for Durham, but I sort of think the ECB's whole raison d'etre is to is to fuck Durham over. So I assume they'll they'll bring Matty Potts in the side, won't pick him, uh, so he won't be able to play for Durham in the championship, and then they'll suddenly bowl him for like 160 overs in one test just to destroy him for the rest of the year. Berso at seven, Moeen at eight is potentially very exciting. It's great. That is great. Paul says, is this the last pot of the season? Are you doing weekly shows, specials, etc.? Um, well, no, this is the end of the season for us, but we will be back tomorrow with an international preview. <laughs> <laughs> I hate those internationals. I, I was a guest on um, Greek-orientated uh, football podcast yesterday. I was previewing... Uh, well, as an expert? Well, I mean, I, is this? Have you been hiding this? Is this, is this should, yeah, I <laughs> I just said Karagunas a lot. (laughs) 
No, I think I was there for my uh, what passes for my expertise on the Republic of Ireland team. Oh, right. And uh, just having to, to you know, the season's over, the Champions League final has just been played, and now these, you know, we don't want to do this preview podcast. <laughs> the players almost certainly don't want to play. Most of the Irish team haven't played football for a month. They've all been their holidays. The ones from Sheffield United have been in Vegas on a, you know, celebratory promotion holiday. No, no one wants to play these games. You know, just just toss a coin or something um, and be done with it. All right. Well, that'll do today. I look forward to tomorrow then. Um, uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, Wilson. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Baz. Thank you. So, yeah, international preview tomorrow and then we'll uh, look back at those games after the weekend and doing a couple of Life and Times pods with Troy Townsend and Nicky Bandini while we take a bit of a break uh, in the next few weeks. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.